Investors purchased a record share of houses in America's top metropolitan areas last year. According to data from Redfin, nearly one in seven homes in Atlanta, Miami, Detroit, and other major cities were sold to investors, like large corporations, local companies, or even just wealthy individuals. And a new analysis by The Washington Post shows that these purchases happened disproportionately in Black neighborhoods and in the South. Today, we take you just outside of Nashville, a metro area where investors purchased 16% of homes last year. And we'll take a look at one company that has scooped up houses in suburbs around the country. Tammy Sue Lane is in a suburb of Nashville. Uh, it's really an exurb. It's, uh, it's a new neighborhood. Most of the houses are about 15 years old. Peter Worski is a reporter on the Post's financial desk. They were designed, built as starter homes, marketed as starter homes. They were, of all costs, less than $200,000 15 years ago. And they were a perfect place for a lot of people to buy their first home. So in many ways, uh, Tammy Sue Lane is the kind of street you'll see in new suburbs all around America. But one of the things that makes it unusual and, and really drew our attention is that of the 32 homes there, 19 are owned by one very large company, and that company is called Progress Residential. Renting out houses in suburbia has never been a business dominated by large companies. But with private equity-backed companies like Progress Residential entering the market in more and more places, that is starting to change. I sometimes think of them as running horizontal apartment houses. They take a suburb and turn it into their own property in a way because they own so much of it. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, February 16th. The American suburbs may seem like an unlikely place for the flow of secretive global money. But the Pandora Papers investigation reveals how Progress Residential has made millions of dollars scooping up homes across the U.S., then renting them back to families who can no longer afford to buy them. Some of the company's tenants claim that it has made money by subjecting them to unfair rent hikes and excessive fees, which is something that the company denies. They have 70,000 houses, which wow. uh, is a remarkable uh, number of purchases. One of the big advantages they have is that they're very quick. At one point earlier this year, when we were looking at their uh, figures, they were buying up to 80 homes a day or more. And one of the reasons that they were able to do this is that first, they had a lot of money that they raised through private equity. And the second is that technology has changed. It was It's really hard to assemble that many properties, but they have a computerized algorithm that tells them when a home that they might like is for sale, they can close a deal uh, or make an offer with, within two hours. Two hours seems really fast and just seems like a whole other order of what a regular house buyer would be able to do. That instead of having a real estate agent who is going to house and visiting the house and talking to other people about this house, that if you're using an algorithm to automatically bid on or make offers on houses, then you're clearly at a pretty intense advantage. Right. That's their number one advantage, probably, is the speed with which they can make a decision. Uh, 
But they also have a, a very big advantage from having so much money. You know, most people I know, when they buy a house, they put in an offer and they, it's always contingent on whether or not you can get a loan from the bank to buy it. These guys don't have to do that. They just say, we're going to give you an all-cash offer. They tend to have a pretty high rate of success with their offers. One of the things we found in our reporting was an interview with one of the executives uh, of this operation. And he was talking about just how quickly they can move on an, uh, on a property. It's far quicker than any regular family could do. They get uh, automatic feeds every 15 minutes uh, about markets across the country. And they have an algorithm that within 15 minutes can score the house and they can decide whether or not it's something that they're interested in. So as a result, within two hours or a couple of hours, they can get an offer out to the people who are selling the home, which is obviously so much faster than you or I would be able to move on something. Peter, what was your reaction to hearing that? We were pretty surprised. Um, We knew that they uh, were a very sophisticated operation that had grown very quickly, but we didn't know anything about this computer algorithm or the speed that they could move on a house. It seemed uh, astonishing, and it's an astonishing advantage over a regular family. You'll hear them talk about how we're completely not emotional or something like that, comparing themselves to the typical family where you you see the house and you wonder, is it too much? Uh, Is it the right neighborhood? And, you know, he who hesitates is lost. But um, when the algorithm says yes, they don't hesitate. What was a little scary about that, I think if I were uh, trying to buy a house in that area, is that you'd feel like you're competing against a cyborg. You're sitting there looking at houses and hemming and hawing, and this machine, well-financed machine, is out there gobbling up every, you know, the best deals. Part of this is finance and part of this is technology, but what you get at the end is a very, very large company of a kind that's never really had a presence in American suburbia. So what are some of the experiences that you've heard about from Progress Residential Tenants? You know, we, we spoke not only to tenants, but we also spoke to employees. And you get the sense from, especially from the employees, that this very rapid growth in the company has left it a little flat-footed in terms of administering all of these houses. We heard from employees that they couldn't get back to the people who would call in with a problem as quickly as they, as they needed to. And we, we heard that over and over again from tenants that they would make a call and they wouldn't get any call back. So, you know, there'd be black mold or a hole in the fence or an appliance wouldn't work. There's an entire website or Facebook group called Victims of Progress Residential. And there, uh, there's more than 3,000 people on there um, who say they're tenants and say they've had problems of one kind or another with Progress Residential. At the same time, the company has a lease that housing advocates say is one of the most aggressive in terms of the fees that they put on tenants. And the tenants, you'll see them also complaining about that on the Facebook page as well. For example, if you're late on the rent, at least in Tamisu Lane, the, the fine is uh, 10% of the rent, which is a fairly, fairly good chunk compared to other companies where it might be $40. 
the, the people on Tammy Sue Lane that you'll find, uh, for the most part, are not making a lot of money. You, you know, there's there's a factory worker, there's a housekeeper. There are people who have debt problems. Some of them have filed bankruptcy. These are people who are making enough to pay rent, have a car, but not enough to buy their own home. So one of the people that I talked to was um, Ashley Baltimore and her husband. They're both delivery drivers. They work, uh, they do work for DoorDash and all the other um, tech companies do deliveries. And they've been searching for a home for quite a while. Uh, in 2016, they were very close. They thought they were about to close on a deal. So we picked everything out for the house, from the brick to the floors, to pretty much everything. And the financing fell through, and that's when they moved into Tammy Sue Lane. We came over here, we saw the house, um, pretty much put our uh, down payment for the deposit, and we were moved in like within about a week or so. And the, I think they regret moving into the Progress House. They very unhappy. And one of the things that's really kept them from becoming homeowners is that their rent keeps going up. It's gone up more than thirty percent since twenty sixteen when they moved in. When we first moved in, it was fifteen twenty nine. Our rent currently is two thousand and twenty dollars. So. A steady rental increase means that it makes my American dream of owning a house even further because I don't have any money to really save. When they look around for houses now, houses are more expensive. Uh, They feel like Progress and other companies like them are buying up a lot of the houses that they might have otherwise purchased. So they feel squeezed uh, both as a tenant and as a home buyer by Progress Residential. Oh, that's interesting. Like they feel that because of these companies' practices, they've both made it almost impossible for them to be able to afford a home in this neighborhood, but at the same time are also charging more and more for rent to be able to live as a tenant in this neighborhood. So, yeah, exactly. And, you know, most of the people that I talked to or a striking number of them said that I'd love to buy. I'd really like to see I'd really see myself as a homeowner someday. And I'm really trying. But many of them said it's just so expensive to rent from Progress Residential. In part, that's because of the additional fees that they charge. Progress can be a really expensive place for for renters, they say. What does the company say about these accusations that a, they're boxing out homeowners from, or regular people from becoming homeowners, but also that they are, at least it sounds like from these tenants, like predatory in how they do business with, with the people who rent from them. So the, the company, in response to our reporting and other uh, complaints from tenants, you know, they describe themselves as part of the solution to the housing crisis in America, that people need rental housing and they're providing it. They, they say that they treat tenants fairly and respond promptly to, to all the complaints. And furthermore, uh, as with regard to the, the people that we talked to and, and brought to their attention, they said those people uh, constitute only a small fraction of their over 200,000 residents. Coming up after the break what the Pandora Papers reveal about Progress Residential's wealthy founder and how he, the company, and its investors make money. We'll be right back.
So let's talk a little bit more about the backstory behind Progress Residential. Like, tell me about its founder, who he is, and how he originally made his money. Well, the, the man behind the company is a very interesting figure on Wall Street. His name is Don Mullen. He was an executive at Goldman Sachs, and he oversaw their bet, which became known as the big short. And this was a very big bet that the housing markets were going to crash, and they did. So there's an email that came out uh, later in a congressional investigation somewhere right before the market tanked. And he's writing an email and says something like, seems like we're going to make a lot of money or, you know, something to that effect. Hmm. Wait, can I ask, have you seen the movie The Big Short? Because I'm imagining like the, the Christian Bale <laughs> character from that movie. Is no. that this guy? So, yeah, everybody asks that. You know, The Big Short is just the bet which is betting against the market. And a lot of people did. So Goldman Sachs, they weren't really the subject of the, the book or the movie. Gotcha, gotcha. What led us to Mullen was this trove of documents called the Pandora Papers, which are all these financial documents from investors from around the world. And one of the, among the many documents that we found there was the pitch that Don Mullen made to investors around the world, uh, in which he's saying, look, I got this idea. I'm going to buy up tens of thousands of homes and rent them out. And he's explaining in these documents that I, I see an opportunity uh, because the prices were low, people needed housing. And these papers gave us a really inside look at this, what became a very large company and um, basically how they were going to capitalize on the distress of uh, America's housing markets after the, the great crash. Oh, wow. In 2012, we were still coming out of the recession. There were, had been a glut of homes, thanks in part to the foreclosure crisis. And they thought that housing was underpriced. So that's a good thing. They could buy low uh, with the idea of selling high later. But they also noticed that there were a lot of families, especially millennials, who were having a hard time qualifying for a mortgage. And so they foresaw a generation of renters that they could uh, market to and with this huge collection of houses that they were putting together. Well, so it sounds like this guy is essentially very good at finding opportunities to make money around the housing market. And if in 2008 he was able to predict what was coming and was able to use that to essentially make a lot of money when a lot of people lost a lot of money, I mean, he clearly knows how to work the housing market system. He does. And how much has Mullen personally made off of his investments in this company? It's really hard to tell, but a lot. Um, the reason it's hard to tell is that his pay depends on what the returns were for investors. If they were 17%, uh, one professor calculated that he and his other managers would have collected more than a billion dollars. If they were 10%, which is what the return might have been, uh, he made hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, either way, he made a lot of money. Wow. And what about for the company in total? Like, how much does this company make from its practices in the real estate market? Uh, they, uh, in 2019, so seven years after the beginning of the fund, they put out a press release saying that the equity, the investors' equity had nearly doubled over that period. So they're doing pretty well. I'm also curious how all of these 
buying practices by Progress Residential is having an effect on the housing market in the places where they've bought up so many properties? It's difficult to know exactly how much the prices are getting pushed up by these big companies. I don't think anyone disputes that when a big company or anyone comes in and buys up a lot of homes, it's going to put upward pressure on prices. We just don't know how much yet. One of the points that the company makes is that we don't own that many overall in the United States supply. What that answer masks, though, is that they own large chunks of homes in in certain counties. For example, in Rutherford County, the property assessor there says that 10% of rental homes in the uh, county are owned by real estate investment trusts of this kind. And he accuses them of, quote, equity mining our community. Hmm. What does that mean, equity mining our community? Basically taking the home values that uh, families who would be able to buy those, otherwise be able to buy those homes would have made and taking it from them and hoovering it up for the wealthy people behind this company. Just to play devil's advocate, I mean, isn't this how capitalism works? Like these people are being smart investors, right? They're making decisions based not on emotions, but on what is actually a good investment. And so I guess what is the drawback to that? There's no drawback for them, uh, but it presents a whole new barrier for people trying to buy a house. The suburbs, especially, there's a kind of like an American ideal of you, you get your house and you have your neighbors and you're all investors in this place and you you try to make it better. It makes me wonder uh, whether these kinds of very large corporate landlords in American suburbs might undermine that um, that sense that a lot of people once might have had uh, on Tamisu Lane and other places where you'd have just had a lot of small family investors. So is there any accountability here or questions being asked about this company making so much money off of a practice that is also boxing many Americans out of potentially owning homes? Right now, uh, you're seeing a lot of questions being asked about the role that corporate landlords are playing in housing markets around the country. Uh, even from Capitol Hill, we, we see Senator Elizabeth Warren has uh, written to several or a handful of these companies, including Progress Residential, accusing the companies basically of driving out residents from or making it impossible for for people to buy homes in certain neighborhoods. And she's asked for for some financial information from these companies. In response uh, to Senator Warren, the company said, look, we're in the middle of a housing shortage and we're providing houses for people who need them. They said that they've put more than $2 billion into repairing and renovating homes, improving neighborhoods, and supporting local economies. They said that on average, after they purchase a home, they put $50,000 into it to improve it, something most American families can't afford. When we reached out to Progress Residential last week, they pointed us to the letter they'd recently sent to Senator Warren. You know, from an even broader view, I think, though, what this story shows is how one company 
And some very, very wealthy investors were able to capitalize on what for millions of Americans was a really terrible time, uh, you know, the housing crash uh, in which they lost their homes. And there was this huge, widespread, terrible foreclosure crisis. And these guys figured out a way to make millions from it. This story was reported by Peter Wariski, along with Spencer Woodman and Margot Gibbs from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. It was produced by Robin Amer. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter. It was edited by Alexis Diao and Maggie Penman. The pandemic has been hard for all of us. But it has been so tough for older people, many of whom have been isolating from loved ones and the world at large because of their vulnerability to COVID-19. If you are an older person, we want to know, how are you feeling about your golden years? How has the pandemic changed your post-retirement plans? Let us know how you're doing by sending an email to postreports at washpost.com. And if you're open to it, go ahead and record your response on your phone's voice memos app and share that with us. We look forward to hearing from you. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.